Something that I failed to mention earlier was that these Bibles, some of you have seen these Bibles that have been on the, the tables in the back as you walk in. Those are from the World Bible School, and those are Bibles for anyone to take. If you don't have a Bible, or maybe you forgot your Bible, and you want to use a Bible during the assembly, feel free to take it and take it home. Uh, we have plenty of those, but uh, no one should walk out of here without having the Word of God in their hands. Uh, that song that we just sang was a song about the wilderness, and it harkens back images and stories to the Exodus, the, the stories we find in the book of Exodus, the story of Israel, of God delivering his people from the hands of the Egyptians and leading them to the promised land. Now, we spent some time on that this summer in a series called Are We There Yet? But before the Israelites reached the promised land, they had to spend 40 years out in the wilderness, and a whole generation of people passed on. But it was there in the desert where they learned to be completely dependent upon God. They were dependent upon God for guidance and direction. We just sang about the, uh, the, the fiery pillar, the cloud that led the people through the wilderness. But also they were dependent upon God for their sustenance, Every morning they woke up, they received the bread of heaven, the manna that kept them alive in a dry and weary land. And as a people, they learned to depend solely upon God. And Israel's story, in many ways, is our story. We, too, are on a journey. We are on our way to the promised land, and because of God's work through Jesus of Nazareth, we are going to reach our destination, and yet we're not there yet. We are well aware that we are dwelling in the wilderness wanderings. Now, in the wilderness, there is profound joy, and we experience that, especially in our time together, and we experience that when we travel to the mountains. We experience that when we are with our families and friends. There's much joy in this world, but there is also the other part, there is pain, sickness, temptation, and death. And that is life in the wilderness. And yet we, like our spiritual ancestors, depend upon God as we make our way through the wilderness. It's interesting, when we are raising our, our kids, one of the things we're trying to do is to teach them to be independent. We're trying to teach them to be self-sufficient because we're going to send them off to be on their own, and yet spiritually speaking, it's actually the opposite of that part of the journey. The, the more we mature in Christ, the more we recognize our need for God's grace at every moment of the day. I need thee every hour. We actually grow into becoming more dependent, and so we learn this. We learn this in the journey, and really the only place to learn this, to learn this deep dependence upon God is out in the wilderness. Out in that place where we are stretched beyond really what we can handle. It's out in the wilderness where we are forced to place our trust in God, the only one who can do only what God can do. And so this morning, if you find yourself in a wilderness wandering of sorts, if you are looking for solid ground, if it feels like the ground is shifting underneath you, Take note and hear the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
that God does his best work in the wilderness. He does his best work in the wilderness. And there on the other side of trial is a faith that has been tested under fire. And although it's hard to see at times, one of the things we learn in the wilderness is our theme this year, that God is with us. God is present with his people, even and especially out in the wilderness. Well, this morning, we're going to look at a parable that takes us into the wilderness, and it comes in the Gospel of Luke. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, we're going to read the first seven verses here in a moment. We're continuing this series on the parables, which will take us through the fall, a, a series called Stories with Intent, the Parables of Jesus. And you have an agricultural scene in the slide behind me because so many of Jesus' parables had to do with agriculture. And we're going to touch that a bit with the parable this morning. But last week we talked about the parable of the two debtors. And Jesus was at a dinner party and he told this story because the Pharisees, the, the people who were hosting this party, failed to show him hospitality. But an uninvited guest came in and she washed Jesus' feet, she anointed his feet with oil, she provided the hospitality that was sorely missing from the Pharisees. And as the Pharisees are, are looking down in a condescending way toward this woman, Jesus uses this as an opportunity to tell this story, the story of two debtors, and to connect forgiveness with love. Those who are forgiven much, love much. Those who are forgiven little, love little. Well, this morning, the parable that we're going to work through really is a spinoff of that story. And it comes in a series of parables. It comes in a series of famous parables. Some of the more uh, famous parables that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15. And in this first parable, we're going out to the wilderness. We're going out to a flock of sheep. And in the context of this parable, we are going to hear grumbling. Grumbling against Jesus because of the people with whom he is associating, the people with whom he's sharing meals with. Now, table fellowship is here in the background. And just a little word on table fellowship. When we go out to eat with somebody, we usually use that as an opportunity to get to know someone, small talk, where are you from? Uh, but in the first century, table fellowship had teeth to it. There was, there was a recognition, a reception, an acknowledgement of a bond that is established between two people, which is why in the early church, the biggest problem in the church, one of the biggest crises in the early church was table fellowship. How do you get Jews and Gentiles, people who have been separated for centuries, how do you get those two groups of people together sitting at the same table? Well, you do that by leveling the playing field, which is what Romans is all about. Our need for grace, our need for mercy, we all come to the foot of the cross. So, table fellowship, we're going to hear that come out in these seven verses. Let's hear the word of God from Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled 
saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open wilderness, the open country, and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over, than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Well, may God bless the reading of his word. I read a conversation partner earlier this week who said, you need to read that last verse, verse 7, and imagine Jesus saying that with a sly smile, as if there are people who don't need repentance. He's talking to the Pharisees. So, did you hear the story from a few weeks back? A terrible story. A story of a woman who drowned in a river. She was crossing a bridge, and she went over some water, and the water swept her into the river. And she failed to heed that warning. Turn around. Don't drown. And it cost her everything. It cost her her life. A very, very sad story. I, I read it, read about her. She seemed like a very good-hearted person who got herself into a situation that quickly spiraled out of control. She made a mistake, and she needed rescue. But the fact that a woman drowned in a river was not really what gained the attention of the news. Uh, sadly, there are people who die from making this mistake all the time. But what made this story stand out from others is the phone call she made in the last moments of her life. She called 911 when she realized that the electricity had failed in her car. She couldn't get out and she was floating down the river. And she was frantic as she talked to this operator about her dire situation. But what she received on the other end of that phone call was something that was truly appalling. I'm not going to read the entire transcript, uh, but here are a few lines. The woman in the car, her name was Debbie. And this is how she started off the 911 conversation. I have a severe emergency. I, I can't get out, and I'm scared to death, ma'am. Can you help me? You're not going to die. I don't know why you're freaking out. You're freaking out is doing nothing but losing oxygen in there. So calm down. I'm scared. I'm sorry. I, I couldn't see the water when it came upon it. When I came upon it, it just all of a sudden hit me. Well, this will teach you next time, don't drive in the water. Debbie continued to panic to a point where the operator said, Miss Debbie, you're going to have to shut up. And then Debbie asked the 911 operator to pray for her that she was having a hard time breathing, to which the operator responded, Miss Debbie, you're breathing just fine because you're screaming at me. So calm down. I know you're scared. Hold on for me. 
That was the last interaction between Debbie and this 911 operator. And at this point, Debbie had gone underwater. And I debated whether to uh, read this, bring this up, because it is such a tragedy. And really, it's, it's fresh. It's only a couple of weeks old. But I had Luke 15 stirring in my mind already. And when I read about this story, and I actually went and listened to the audio, and that's pretty much what was on the audio, I heard a chord strike between the attitude of this 911 operator and what I hear in the Pharisees toward sinners. People who, in a, in a sense, are drowning. People who need rescue. And if anyone was going to take on that role of rescuer, it should have been the Pharisees, it should have been these religious leaders, these people who knew the law of Moses by heart, the ones who should have embodied what being a true Israelite was all about, the people who should be shining examples of what Joe just read for us. What does the Lord require of His people to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God? That should have been the Pharisees. But as it turns out, the Pharisees were just like their spiritual ancestors, the ancient leaders of Israel, the ones who grumbled, the ones who failed to act justly, the ones who failed to love mercy, the ones who failed to walk humbly with their God, the ones who for centuries, instead of drawing the people closer to God, were actually driving them away. We see this throughout the Old Testament, but especially in the book of Ezekiel. If you want to turn to Ezekiel 34, Ezekiel is prophesying to a group of broken people. These are people who are in exile. These are people who have been ripped from their homeland of Jerusalem and taken as slaves to live in Babylon. But in Ezekiel chapter 34, God gives a scathing critique of the leaders of Israel, the shepherds. And this is what God, through Ezekiel, tells the people, beginning in verse 1, Ezekiel 34. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth. And none to search or seek, seek for them. Well, I can't help but think that Jesus had this passage in his mind when he's telling this series of parables about the lost sheep and the woman looking for the lost coin and the father who keeps the lights on looking for the lost son or maybe more appropriately stated the parable of the lost sons. 
I mean, Jesus arrives in Israel as the Messiah, and he looks around him, and he sees a group of broken people who are drowning in the waters. People who need rescue. People who are crying out for help, but all they're getting from their religious leaders is condescension and lectures and shunning and shaming. The Pharisees' strategy for rescue was to make examples of bad behavior, highlighting who was in and who was out. I can hear them as 911 operators. Well, maybe this will teach you the next time to not drive out over the waters, you sinners. Go ahead and sink. Now, last week we had the opportunity to find ourselves in the story of the sinful woman, which really is a story of all of us. But this morning we would do well to camp out with the Pharisees for a bit because we can find ourselves in that story as well. I don't know how this happens or why this happens, but I'm sure that this is a sign of the fallenness of man, and that is human beings have the enormous capacity to revel in other people's failures. We see it right now on full display with social media. doesn't matter what side of the political aisle you're on. You're a target. My goodness, you better not have made a mistake when you were a teenager. It better not be public. In our society, there's this subset of I don't know, high horse, people on their high horse. There's no room for forgiveness. There's no room for growth. There's no room for redemption. It is a strange, strange world we live in right now. And perhaps that's not going on here among us in such an overt way. But I wonder if any of us are truly immune to those little fleeting thoughts, those thoughts that pop in our head that we know shouldn't be there, and we try to brush them away. You know what I'm talking about? A sense of superiority when someone else's sin is put on public display. Or a sense of, thank goodness I'm not as bad as that person. Jesus has a parable about that one as well, Luke chapter 18. Or even a sense of, I told you so. If we told somebody, we gave them some profound wisdom, and they didn't listen to us, and they crashed. I told you so. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful when we engage with a lost world, we could end up as 911 operators who are quick to shun, shame, and lecture, who say to those who are drowning in sin, well, this will teach you next time not to go out over the waters. I think there's a part of us that feels good to lecture someone else. I think it feels good to act as if we have it all together. When someone messes up in a strange quirky, awful way, we feel better about ourselves. 
And I think part of that is because for a brief moment, the spotlight is taken off of us and off of our sin and off of these things that we wrestle with and put on someone else. And we get respite because everyone's looking at them. And we're not forced to look into the mirror. Let's keep looking at them. Now, I'm not for a moment suggesting that we don't treat sin, that we don't take sin, that we take sin lightly. Uh, we're studying 1 Corinthians in our Sunday morning Bible classes, and Paul has a lot to say about dealing with sin in the community. But what I'm talking about is the attitude toward the sinner, the attitude of the Pharisees that can come out into our hearts if we're not careful. And what happens is, this attitude not only feeds a self-deception, and not only feeds a self-righteousness, but it also gives us spiritual amnesia. It gives us spiritual amnesia about our own story, about our own need for rescue. Because the truth is, every single person is drowning. Not everybody realizes it. The Pharisees didn't realize it. They were inept shepherds. They were people just like their ancestors. They failed to bind up the wounds of the injured. They failed to seek the lost. And they are on the receiving end of Jesus' most harshest critiques throughout the Gospels. But this morning, as we take in the story of the Pharisees, and as we look into our own hearts, and maybe even look at some ugly parts of our hearts. Let us not walk away from here without hearing the good news of this parable and what's being proclaimed. This powerful word of grace and hope and celebration. You know, going back to Ezekiel 34, when God is giving this scathing critique of the shepherds there in Israel, God also talks about a time when he's going to take matters into his own hands. Let's hear Ezekiel 34, beginning in verse 11. God, through the prophet Ezekiel, says, For thus says the Lord, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And of course, the good news is that God had arrived to shepherd his people. God had arrived in Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus makes that claim in the Gospel of John. He says, I am the good shepherd. The sheep hear my voice. I am seeking the lost. I am gathering the scattered and bringing them back into the fold and so the parable of this shepherd, the parable of the woman who's looking for her lost coin, the parable of the father who's looking for his lost son, they point to, they give us a window into the very heart of God. The God who goes through extraordinary lengths in order to rescue those who are drowning in the waters. Even entering into the waters of death himself. And because of this, because of God working through Jesus of Nazareth, the lost sheep, the tax collectors, the sinners, and you, and me, and the muck that we deal with, we are cleansed, and we are brought back into the fold of God. 
We serve a God who rescues. That's the gospel. That's the heartbeat of the good news from Genesis to Revelation. The God who rescues, but also the God who calls upon us to join in with that rescue mission. The God who calls on us, the church, to have a rescue mentality. In a sense, God has called upon us to be rescue 911 operators. That's the mission of the church. We can't save someone, but we can see someone who's drowning and point them to the Savior. That is our mission. So this morning, the question really isn't, are we 911 operators? The question is, what kind of 911 operator are we? Are we a shunner and shamer? Or are we people who are quick to proclaim the good news of the grace and mercy and love of God, declaring the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light? Do we have a rescue mentality? Well, that is the question before us. That is the challenge before the people of God here at Brentwood Oaks here in 2019. Consider such things. We're going to sing a song of invitation now. It's a song that speaks of rescuing those who are perishing, joining in with what God is doing in this world, in the kingdom of God, among us. This morning, if you feel yourself barely able to hold your head over the waters and you need the help of your brothers and sisters in Christ, every single one of us need help at different moments in our lives. And if you need to do this in a public way to have your church family surround you, we will be glad to pray over you. If you would like to do this in a more private manner, our, some of our shepherds will be in the chapel following our assembly. They would love to pray with you. Uh, if you have come to a place of belief and you are ready to put on Christ in baptism, uh, we certainly can accommodate that this morning. If you've been immersed and you uh, you've been here, you, you've talked with us, you want to join in with what God is doing here among us at Brentwood Oaks, now's the time to come forward as we stand and as we sing.